I promise this episode still has the comical lens you've come to know and love. However, this episode discusses suicide and suicidal ideation, and some people might find it disturbing. The greatest myth is that talking about suicide will lead to and encourage suicide, when in reality, talking about suicide allows those who would be victims to understand there is no shame in reaching out for help. I am a huge advocate for mental health and suicide prevention. If you or someone you know is suicidal, please contact your physician, go to your local ER, or call the suicide prevention hotline in your country. For the United States, the numbers are as follows. The National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255 or message the Crisis Text Line at 741741. Both programs provide free, confidential support 24-7. If you want to learn more about suicide prevention, look into QPR Gatekeeper Training. And as someone who has tried to take their life, please hear me. We need you. You are worthy. We care about you. And you are too important to lose to suicide. Salutations and welcome to the history class nobody asked for. This is Historically Accurate, the Historically Accurate podcast. I'm your host, Dawn Michelle Lewis, and joining me today is Bob Davis. Hi, Bob. Hello. How's every little thing? Hello, Bob. Uh, you know, it's we're still in a pandemic. Um, that's yeah. <laughs> I, but I, you know, well, and my you're beard still... is luxurious. Oh, I know it looks so beautiful. Um, I realize you're Cass, still- are you listening? Cass, are you listening? She Cass, hates it. Cass, you can make him shave when he comes home. Uh- <laughs> no, before, before oh. that rule has already been laid down. Oh, that's okay. Actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna shave it after I get my second jab. Oh, your second so, Fauci like, Yeah. It has like ten days to live. <laughs> Document it. Document and, it. Uh, as oh, much there as will can. be. There will be, and I'm going to be, I'll, I'll take the big chunks off out in the backyard so the birds Wait. can use it to line their nest. That's, oh, that's so environmentally conscious of you. Do I you, was just going to put it down the toilet, but you know. Uh, do, do you need professional photos? I have a really fancy camera that makes it look like I'm a photographer. I think it'll and be more funny if we just, you know, have cell phone snaps and, you know, that are <laughs> shaky because my mom is laughing. I mean, not only is she 70 in 70 ish, <laughs> she'll be laughing. So that's perfect. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, it just reminds me of my mom doing the same thing. So hi, mom. I know you're listening. Bob, can you please share with the class how we met? I think I can. We were sitting upstairs in the prop room 
or in no in the the wardrobe department and there were a bunch of people there we were talking about costumes goofing around because well anthony and mary were there so of course there was goofing around oh yeah no that's inevitable (laughs) And this person steams in and, you know, it, I can only be here for a little bit. I'm kind of late. Oh, <laughs> and uh, let's see. Okay. Hi, my name's Don Michelle. And this is what I'm going to be doing with your show. And uh, otherwise uh, I got to go. Bye. And poof, she was gone. That was so specific. And yeah, it, <laughs> but I'm like, wow, she really knows what she's doing. <laughs> That's called acting, Bob. Because <laughs> you know, you you fixed like you fixed like six things in ten seconds. It's like you manifested, <laughs> bam, fixed ten things. <laughs> said hi, I'm Don Michelle, and then dematerialized. Poof. I think I had to go to work. Uh, yeah, you did. Yeah, you did. And then so, you kept doing that over the course of rehearsals. Like, yeah. I hi, did. I'm here. What can I fix? Fix, fix, fix. Poof. Okay, bye. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was super cool. Uh, I actually rode up on a unicorn. Um, so that's why <laughs> I was exploded to... in a shower of glitter. <laughs> no, that would have messed everything up. That's true. That, that is the herpes of the craft world. <laughs> uh, I, I, I saw, was it a couple of years ago now that there's a company that you can order a glitter bomb for your most hated enemies? Yes, there is also a company where you can um ship feces of any animal you choose oh wow that's we have very different that we have very different definitions of how to deal with our enemies Um, yeah i guess hashtag nsa i think we just uh we defined our personalities in in three seconds (laughs) (laughs) so yeah that's that's how we met okay yeah that sounds about right um because I was called in to do that pretty last minute, too. Yeah. Because um, Yeah, you had a look on your face that said, this is the last thing I need right now. It, it really was. Because <laughs> that theater called me in so many times to do non-active things. And that was because I auditioned for a show and happened to put on my resume that I knew how to do hair and makeup. And that was mm-hmm. my own fault. Mm-hmm. That no longer exists on my resume. I also don't put that. Yeah. I, I don't put that I've done costuming and I know how to sew yep. dresses or anything. I'm like, no, I'm I don't I'm not here for this. I only yeah to be on the stage. Thank you. Yeah, I'd I'd rather have a thing where I'm like on a ladder in the light rack and someone goes, wait, you know how to do lights? <laughs> I would rather that happen than me write down. Oh yeah, I know sound and lights too. It's fine. All right, but I'm saving that future no it doesn't apply you live in another country Ah. exactly (laughs) so now it was time for 10 regular paced questions that may or may not teach you something about my co-host ready Uh, okay um is cereal a soup why or why not it's chunky and mostly liquid so yes i very rarely eat it myself (laughs) but yeah it's i mean if if gazpacho is a soup then so is cereal (laughs) Perfect. Uh, what do you think is the sexiest and least sexiest name? Sure, we're gonna go with that question. Wow! Wow! Cl- I did not read these, these in, aren't you? I didn't read this in <laughs> advance. 
I just I found a website, copied and pasted. I apologize for plagiarizing. And uh, well, of course, the sexiest is Cass. Obviously. Hello, darling. Hi, Cass. And I think there's it's a toss up between Maud and Gertrude. That's true because the only nickname for Gertrude is Gertie. Well, Trudy. Eh, Trudy's okay. But I, Trudy sounds like a euphemism for passing gas. I apologize so, to anybody named Maud, Gertrude, or Trudy. Trudy, Gertie. Gertie. Yeah. Uh, sorry. <laughs> so, <laughs> next. Uh, what's a secret conspiracy you would like to start? It's not going to oh. be a secret anymore. Start oh, it here. That I would like that I would like to start. Yeah, start it here. Wow, I, I've got so many running through my head, and I think they've already all been taken by the the conspiracy theorists. I figured you would I, be the it, perfect person for this question too. There's the whole Nazis on the dark side of the moon thing. That's oh, super yeah. cool. Iron Sky is a brilliant movie. Everyone should watch it. <laughs> oh man, all, all the various hollow earth theories. Those are great. Uh, Ted. Cruz in a is a, in a lizard in a human suit. That's Ooh. a good one. I thought he was the Let's stick with killer. that. Let's, oh, well, there's that. How about a lizard in a human suit that is also the Zodiac killer? No, that would make up for the timeline of when they existed. So, yeah, no, that works. All right. <laughs> What's a After they crashed in Area, in area, area 51. Yeah, the <laughs> spaceship crashed. In Arizona in 1947. And the lizard that is now Ted Cruz slurped out of the, the aluminium wreckage, killed a U.S. Air, Army Air Corps soldier, assumed his human suit, and has been molting ever since. I believe it. All right. So okay. what, what's invisible but you wish people could see? I think it would be cool, super cool to see the wind. I feel like that would be terrifying. I, I mean, the, it comes at you all the time, weird. Bob. This is going to sound weird. Well, you can see ocean waves coming at you. That's not terrifying. They're not above my the, head. The, uh, I remember thinking, feeling like I could see, like when we were in the car. Maybe I was just really tired <laughs> when I was small, <laughs> but like, I remember thinking I could see or feeling like I could see the slipstream of air around other cars on the highway. Oh, oh, you mean like they do in like those tests when they're yeah, and the in like, the okay. the wind tunnels with the smoke tests and the smoke curls around the cars and all that. I remember, I remember feeling like I could actually see that, and I think it'd be super cool to be actually actually be able to see that. Okay, uh, now. What do you think is the weirdest smell you've ever smelled? <laughs> weirdest or foulest are the best. Are they're pretty much synonymous? Yeah, I mean, you can not hate a weird smell. Oh, the the, the smell I hate the most is uh, it's how they get rid of the waste in the latrines when you're at a when you're on a very forward post. Um, it involves vehicle fuel and a great big metal drum. <laughs> oh, that sounds and awful. It's, it's fairly disgusting. They've been they started doing it in Vietnam, as I recall, and and depending on where you are, they still do it. <laughs> so, all right. I asked your wife this question, and I want to know 
what your answer to it is. So, oh God, is this like that game show, like that couples show where they ask them, you know, what's no, your husband I, going I, to say? No, because I didn't realize I was going to ask you this question because again, okay. I just copied and pasted. And uh, yep, is a hot dog a sandwich? Is it between two slices of bread? Like a hot dog on a bun? Is it a sandwich? Uh, that's a very good question. Well, seeing as how you can have an open-faced sandwich, this is just like, is cereal a soup? <laughs> I mean, logically, if you can have an open-faced sandwich, right? Right. Then, yes, it counts as a sandwich. It's an open-faced sandwich. And if you're that going to be that anal about it, you could just, you know, split the bun. Because it's only connected by that tenuous little strip of tissue along the back. Right, which just nine times out of ten... Like I'll peel that off and just eat it. Yeah, I mean it's like it's gonna split anyway. Just just eat it, split it, and then eat it. Boom, sandwich. If it makes you feel any better, your wife also thought it was a sandwich, but it was based on something where you live and how they talk about sausage. I guess. Oh, sausage is huge. There yeah. are nine million different kinds of preserved pig product. I'm not even surprised. So what is the <laughs> what is the best Wi-Fi name you have ever seen? I used to use NSA surveillance van number three. <laughs> that's what that's what I named our router when we first got one. Because <laughs> I'm just like, if someone's gonna, I, of course I'm gonna put security on it. <laughs> but if someone looks for it. You know, and at, at the time we owned an unmarked white van, so heck with it, That's right? Amazing. Yeah. Uh, well, you know Rebecca and Sam; they have uh, they've both now been on the podcast separately. There's this two beavers, and I can't get over that. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right. So, what is the most ridiculous fact you know? The I know you just learned some fact. from me today. <laughs> Oh, gosh. It's like going into the men's room at in a public venue. You know, you can't you can't perform if someone's watching. They're just staring at you. <laughs> exactly. They're silently judging while they stare. The most ridiculous fact. It probably has some some weird technical thing like that. Uh, something about like resonant antennas for high frequency radio transmission here i'd give you the formula but you're already asleep i am yeah so <laughs> you lost me at high frequency and i just there you go out yep i could hear the snores oh that was probably hippo she's upstairs sleeping oh the sweet darling. <laughs> that's why i can't have her on recordings because she falls asleep and then snores through the whole thing Oh, bless her heart. I know. I love pit bulls. Uh, <laughs> all right. So what is something that everyone looks stupid doing? Hmm. Putting on socks. There's no elegant way to put on socks. No. And I don't care if you're talking about Argyle men's socks that you suspend with those calf <laughs> those, those sock suspenders yeah i don't care if it's that i don't care if it's the super sexy thigh highs with the seam up the back when you first start putting them on you look ridiculous 
think it works in the reverse too. People taking them off. Yeah, it's just not. It looks dumb. <laughs> There's no elegant way to do it. Uh, all right, and then here is another one that I thought was really, really good for you. I actually skipped through the list to find this. Uh, what kind of secret society would you like to start? It can be with your uh, I, conspiracy, you know, it, it, you know, it's up ooh. to you. I've always been fascinated by the concept of uh, cults. Right? You know, like the, the Jim Jones type or, you know, the Heaven's Gate sort of cult, David Koresh and all of that sort of thing that, yeah, what an intricate scam to run. It's so, it's amazing. It really is. There was one that I just watched a documentary on. Um, I think it was on Netflix about the Rajneeshi people. Right. And as I was watching it, I was like, you know what? If I was going to fall into a cult, it would be this one. There's it. There's just so much, like secret societies. You you. Well, there there are many different kinds. Number one, I mean, there, you could have mystery cults that are totally above board and normal, but then as you get deeper and deeper into them, things get weirder and weirder or more and more secretive. Right. And that, you know, it, anyway, it it's a fascinating <laughs> thing that I could talk about for the rest of this podcast, so I we know. should probably... Yeah, same. <laughs> I've just never heard the word normal and cult in the same sentence, so... <clears throat> well, I mean, there... It, <laughs> If you're going to go by strict definitions of the term, we could be we could make this podcast episode very unpopular very quickly. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure. I think so I, we'll, I know that we we'll, just resonated on the same thought, and I know we can't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we'll hit the big old pause oh, button on that. Save that for another just, podcast. Discuss it over drinks or something. Oh my gosh! Yeah, after my Fauci Fauci. So let's get into the lesson. This one time in the United States, an honest man was left no choice. Politics in Pennsylvania are notoriously dirty. But in the case of Bud Dwyer, dirty turned into deadly. So let's start at the end. At 10.30 a.m. on January 22, 1987, Pennsylvania State Treasurer R. Bud Dwyer held a press conference at the Capitol in Harrisburg. Press Secretary James Duke Horshock had made the arrangements the day before when he contacted reporters to ask their attendance. Horshock told them he did not know the subject of this conference. Now many assumed Bud Dwyer was going to resign from his position as state treasurer because the following day he was scheduled to be sentenced. Dwyer had been found guilty on 11 counts of mail fraud, perjury, conspiracy, and interstate transportation in aid of racketeering. At the press conference, Dwyer appeared nervous, and instead of the resignation the press expected to hear, Bud professed his innocence as he had through the entire criminal proceeding. He read a prepared statement 21 pages long. In his statement, he claimed Governor Thornburg, acting U.S. Attorney West, Judge Muir and others tarnished the judicial system and ruined him. His speech was described as rambling, 
About halfway through his speech, Dwyer noticed some of the press packing to leave. He stopped and told them to stay until he was finished. At the end of his speech, Bud Dwyer called upon three separate staffers. Each received a sealed envelope. The first envelope contained a letter to the recently inaugurated Pennsylvania Governor Bob Casey Sr. This was entrusted to Bob Holst. Deputy Press Secretary Gregory Penny was handed the second. It contained his organ donor card and instructions for the donation of his body parts. Last but not least, he passed the final envelope to Deputy Treasurer Don Johnson. As he passed it, he tapped it and said, there's a note in here for Joanne, referring to his wife. The envelope also contained a letter to each of his children, Rob and Dee Dee. Dwyer then picked up a manila envelope out of his briefcase, reached inside, and pulled out a magnum revolver. He asked those who thought this would affect them to please leave the room. Some left to get help. Others stayed to plead with him to give up the gun. When others tried to approach him to seize the weapon, Dwyer spoke his final words, don't, don't, don't. This will hurt someone. Sit down. Dwyer, now close to a wall, quickly put the barrel in his mouth and fired a single shot into his brain. His body slumped to the floor. Sorry. Oh, God, this is hard to read. <clears throat> yeah. I'm sorry. I told you it was really sad. It um, is. Because if you, if you saw the video right now, I am crying. <laughs> um, his body slumped to the floor. Can't even speak. His body slumped to the floor and he died instantly. Cameras were rolling the whole time. Horshock asked the press to leave. Afterward, news broadcasts across Pennsylvania showed various versions of the taped broadcast and some even showed it live. A few stations showed the full unedited press conference. Some showed Dwyer pulling the trigger and falling backwards but cropped the bullet path. Others stopped just before he pulled the trigger but played the audio after. Many chose not to air the final moments. WPVI in Philadelphia broadcast the footage twice and is a source for the copies circulating online. WPXI in Pittsburgh and WHTM-TV in Harrisburg also aired the uncut footage without warning. In central Pennsylvania, many children were home from school for a snow day. Governor Casey replaced Dwyer as state treasurer the following day. In his letter to the governor, Dwyer reiterated that he did not resign and he was the state treasurer of Pennsylvania until the very end. This was important because if he had gone through with his sentencing the following day, his pension and other financial support he established would have been taken away. The National Association of State Treasurers wanted the United States Department of Justice to investigate the allegations Dwyer made in his final press statement. They found no evidence to support Bud's claims, but when you take a step back and look at everything that led to Bud Dwyer's suicide, you can see he was onto something. Now, Bob, the reason you are on this is because you saw this on the news when it happened. Oh yeah. So yeah. About it. I, I was one of those kids at home on a snow day, uh, 87. That would have made me January 87, so 86. I would have been 14. And I remember lying on the floor 
because that's often what I did when I watched TV. And my mom worked 11 to 7. She worked the overnight shift at, the, at a nursing home here in Lewistown. And she would get home from work after my dad left because he worked 7 to 3 <laughs> at an entirely different place. And she would basically, I, I called, I, I, I feel bad because for years I called her the vampire because she would basically catnap through the day and then prowl about all the evening long, you know, and <laughs> but she, she's just trying to work. <laughs> but anyway, she was on the couch sort of catnapping in and out and I'm lying on the floor watching TV because it was, a, I don't remember, it had to have been a snow day, not a two hour delay because it would have been too late. Right, because the press conference was at 10.30. Yeah, that would have been, already been gone. So it had to have been a snow day. And I remember WHTM cutting in with it because they wouldn't have broadcast the entire press conference. As you say, it was you know long <laughs> was and boring. Really they would have cut they yeah. would have cut away very quickly on if they had bothered to break their normal programming for it anyway. Right. But yeah, I remember them breaking in and I remember seeing it. And I remember saying to my mom, holy naughty word, <laughs> which of course, which of course, <laughs> which of course snapped her out of her torpor. <laughs> just in time for the for the you know them to talk about it and basically show it again because oh, it's not like they showed it cut to black and then i mean it wasn't i mean it's kind of like i don't know if you remember the famous football quarterback joe theisman but he suffered a catastrophic injury like a compound fracture of the leg oh my gosh yeah i remember seeing that and they showed that over and over and over and over and over and over and over. <laughs> it wasn't like that. It was it, to WHTM's credit, but I remember them playing it again. And I, this was in the days before we had a remote control TV. And I remember my mom basically levitating off of the couch over me to shut the TV off. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure she moved like, just like, like me when you met me and popping in and out. Yeah. 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 And I, I remember in the days after the amount of very, very crude and, you know, in hindsight, horrifying jokes that went around the uh, middle and high schools. Yeah. Uh, I read about those. And in the documentary that I watched about this, uh, they interviewed Bud Dwyer's children and they heard all those jokes. Oh, I can't imagine how, how awful it must have been for them. Well, and of course, they were home from school, too. Oh, gee. And they had, they had no idea. And in the documentary, they talk about um, his daughter, Dee Dee, said that she had written her father a letter that day about, like, how much she loved him and all this other, you know, cutesy stuff that little girls give to their dads. And yeah. she, to this day, regrets not giving him that letter. Because that, huh. that was the day that he died. Yeah. Right? So <laughs> let's, let's talk about Bud's Wire. Um, we'll pass the sad part for now. Yeah. <laughs> for now. So our Bud's Wire, he was a really well-liked man. He 
like he, he was that kind of person that would help anybody who needed it especially once he was a politician and he started getting into that stuff but that's not where he started so he has um he had a bachelor's degree from allegheny college where he studied political science and then he went on to get a master's in education and i think it's kind of ironic now that he taught problems in democracy yeah yeah hindsight so one of the things they talk about in the documentary is how, when he went to Poland in 1963, because right. when he like that was, I think it was supposed to be like a, it was like an educational trip. I didn't write it down. So essentially, while he was there, he learned about the communist state because, you know, Poland. yeah, <laughs> and that's how he learned to truly respect the freedoms that we have here in the United States. And that's ultimately what inspired him to get involved in our government is, you know, his, res his respect for, you know, all, everything that we are allowed to have. Yeah. He wanted to do what he can, what he thought was the right thing. You know, he wanted to help. Exactly. So his first campaign, he ran for uh, state representative general assembly. Now this was like, it ended up being a weird thing because there was district merging and he ended up going against not one, but two incumbents. So yeah, yeah, that's of course, because, you know, they got to change the lines and all that fun stuff. Right. Right. So, uh, according to the people that had worked on that campaign, he didn't even look at the list of people who contributed to his campaign. He didn't want to know. Yeah. And that'll be an important fact for later. It is. That's, <laughs> a, that's pretty important, especially for the, I'm building his character right now. Um, so he did, he won, he won that election, uh, which is a big deal because if you know anything about politics, typically, not always, but typically the incumbent is the one that wins. When he was a uh, district representative, he personally would help people in his district, which is part of the reason why people liked him because he was, a, he was a really good advocate for, you know, the people of his town and district and yeah. So he still managed to make time for his family, even though the commute to Harrisburg was like five hours. He decided to run for state treasurer. And of course he won um, because he was really well liked. He was also the kind of politician that people had access to, as in like, you know how it's really hard to talk to, at least in Pennsylvania, for the most part, if you want to talk to your local representative, you usually get a generic letter from like a secretary or something. Yeah. It's really hard. Yeah. It's really hard these days. So he was very much about making personal connections with people. Like that was his thing. That's part of how he ended up winning. And if you watch the video of him being inaugurated, it's like, it's probably one of the most wholesome things that you can watch. Cause he's just like beaming with joy and he's like so happy and his family's there and it's, <laughs> It's just, it's so nice to see moments like that. Uh, they, I listen. I'm a sobby kind of person, so <laughs> so during his first term as treasurer, he completely updated the treasury because, of course, this is around the time when you know internet's really becoming a thing, and we have computers, and you know there are this is the the real introduction into technology. So he updated the office. Yeah, I mean it it went because they were transitioning from an entirely paper based system to you know 
what were at the time modern computers, you know, with uh, bespoke operating systems and all that sort of thing. You know, there, yes. There's more in your phone right now than probably existed in the entire PA Department of the Treasury building <laughs> once yeah. all was said and done in the early 80s, but still. Yeah, I mean, the, at that time, it was, it was a real big move. And the other thing that he did, I mean, of course, there's a lot of things that he did um, as treasurer, but the other thing he's known for from his first term was <laughs> the, the campaign was called the waste line. So <laughs> not like the waste on your body, like waste as in like he was cutting wasted taxes, essentially. Like right. these are things that we don't need to be paying for kind of thing. And that's like, a, that, you know, that's what you should want, I guess, from somebody in that position. Yeah, yeah. Then came, uh, well, okay, here's here's a little side side bit. So there, uh, as I mentioned before, there's a documented history of corruption in Pennsylvania politics. Um, yeah. <laughs> and especially... That's putting it, that's putting it rather, it. yeah. It's, it's, it, it's the knockdown, drag out place, Harrisburg. It is, and you wouldn't expect it to be. Uh, there, so the, the, there was a pretty good period of time where, you know, gambling wasn't legal. You know, we had, we had our own little mafia here. And a man by the name of Leroy Zimmerman, which is an important name, he allegedly protected his uncle while he was the DA of Dolphin County, which is, you know, where Harrisburg is. And the FBI has a recording of the Harrisburg Chief of Police, Bruno Favasuli, uh, where he's accusing Zimmerman of taking money from gamblers. Now that recording is from December 7th, uh, 1979. And then in that same recording, the chief and the assistant chief of police are hurt um, also said that just about every Harrisburg cop and politician was on the take. And if you don't know what the slang of on the take means, that means like accepting bribes. Yeah. I feel, yeah, I just want to make sure people yep. know. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah it's, That's it's, not a good thing. No, no. It, it was the way things were, largely. Yes. But it, <laughs> thankfully... Yeah. You know, I think I think we're I think I'm safe in saying that that's no longer the case by and large. I would but, hope so. I mean, not in such an underhanded way. I mean, <laughs> there are a bunch of ways that you can buy and sell politicians. <laughs> well, yeah, and uh, the chief of police from that time, um, Pavasuli, he repeated that statement again when he was interviewed for the the book that I read, Sins of Our Fathers, because the two guys that that worked together on that book, they were already journalists. They were around when all this happened. And then they decided, you know, they wanted to investigate it themselves. And they went around and interviewed everybody who was still alive, you know? Right. So Zimmerman, as we, as, as again, you know, he was the DA and protected his uncle. I should mention that his uncle was not uh exactly what's the term i want to go for straight edge no that's drugs but um above board i should say yeah so and during the time of dwyer's trial zimmerman was the pennsylvania state attorney general 
and that will be important later. During, I believe his, uh, I'm pretty sure it was Dwyer's first term, he had what I'm going to call the Thornburg Conflict. Governor Thornburg took a trip to Germany, right? And because, you know, you're, it, it, one of the things that you get to do when you go and travel for work is you get to submit your receipts and typically be in, like reimbursed for it, right? The problem arose where he submitted the cost of his wife's airfare. Right. Which is a problem because his wife didn't work for the state. Right. And, of and course, Dwyer was a was such a stand up guy that he wasn't going to have that. Well, essentially, this is how it went down. Somebody in his office caught this. Right? They were like, "Well, we can't, we can't pay for the governor's wife. Like, that's not cool." Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like that's she doesn't work for us. But then he was put in a position by the press where he was essentially because it, it, it got leaked out that Dwyer wasn't going to pay uh, reimburse the, the governor. Right. And that's a big deal. Oh, your own, your, your own party is going against you. That's a problem. Yeah. Right. Cause they were in the same political yeah. party at the time. So, um, and that's, and that was, as we've been saying, that was a time when back scratching was just a cost of doing business. Exactly. So the press, essentially cornered Dwyer and they were like hey tell us why you're not gonna pay him or pay for this and whatever like they cornered him and he had to make a public statement about it which is what he was yeah, trying to he avoid had to be, yeah. he yeah. had to actually go on record the poor sap I know, poor guy because he wasn't even the one who initially caught it either like he just yeah. because because he was the top tier guy in the treasury like that was he took the fall for the it buck, yeah the buck stopped there well they made other discoveries um, from the gover governor's expenses. The governor used the state police to transport his kids. Oh. Yeah. yeah. And then he wanted That's... the state to pay for it. I would just, I would have just assumed, I mean, these days it's probably, you know, for security reasons, it's probably just the way things are done. But uh, at the time, yeah, I don't know. I, did, I didn't think, I didn't assume that was like a standard thing, but uh, yeah. So I, yeah, but, I'd be very much surprised if uh, if the Pennsylvania State Police weren't because I know they provide the um, uniformed and ununiformed security. Right. Well, so so um, when he found out that the, he was using the state police to transport his kids, then Dwyer was put in a position where he had to demand that the governor pay that money back because he had been reimbursed yeah. for all these charges and i remember in the documentary they showed receipts like it was thousands of dollars oh yeah of taxpayer money that was going to you know take his kids wherever they needed to go it was like his own little taxi service but with guns yeah <laughs> huh? well <laughs> but yeah, i mean bud dwyer wasn't actually involved directly with either of these instances but again because he's a top guy that's probably one of those one of those situations where you know there was some underling somewhere in treasury that approved it you know don't, don't bother the boss with that it's yeah. just you know it's that it's the it's greasing the political wheels in harrisburg don't bother him and then suddenly something leaks out and the next thing you know all those bulldogs that you know 
call themselves reporters. They get the bit in their teeth and they start tracing down every single loose thread. Mm -hmm. Yep. So, of course, uh, when it came time for re-election, uh, Dwyer was not in favor of the governor, who uh, was the same political party. And, of course, you know, the governor wanted to see him out of office, but Dwyer still won the re-election. Right. Now, before Dwyer was a state treasurer, was the state treasurer, sorry, the, there, was, there was something that had happened before he had even taken office for this position. So essentially, public employees of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, so like, you know, the typical people that you meet in Harrisburg, teachers, all that jazz, they overpaid millions of dollars in Federal Insurance Contributions Act taxes, which is, of course, we call it FICA. Right. The, the way it works is you're, at that time, taxes could not be charged on sick days. So, like, if you get a paid sick day, you're not supposed to be taxed for it. Well, people were being taxed for it. And over 40 the million. the tune of some $40 million. Yeah. yeah. Like $40 million. And that affected 140,000 people. Yeah. So then, you know, the, the state required that an accounting firm be hired to determine the funds that get returned to the employees. I was like, okay, that seems like a decent, not hard thing to do. Well, a man named David Herbert, who was the director of Social Security, recommended a company called Computer Recovery Associates. Uh, to Dwyer. Alexa, stop. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't summon you. Did I say something that sounded like that? You must have. That was really funny. Uh, also, I'm... a slight correction without wishing to mansplain. Computer Technology Associates. Where did I get recovery from? Jesus. No Dwyer. idea. But there you to, go. Yeah, the acronym is CTA. Yeah. My bad. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Mansplainer. Um, no, I'm kidding. I appreciate well, it. <laughs> actually, you can't see it, but I'm pushing my glasses up. Actually. No, I could, I could feel you pushing your glasses up. Oh All right, Bob, that's enough out of you. <laughs> so CTA, computer technical. God, I can't even say that word. Why would you replace it? Computer technology. 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 Associates. My God. I can't. I can't anymore. I quit. Anyway. Well, thanks for listening, folks. We'll be All back right, that's next the end. week. <laughs> it. So they got the FICA contract. All right. They were the ones that won the contract. Um, you know, they had a no bid to recover Social Security overpayments that were made. So and that was a big contract, too. Like four, almost $5 million. Smith. And in, in the trials, Smith initially testified that he did not bribe Dwyer, but insisted that Torquato offered Dwyer a campaign com contribution. You know, you got to get the right let words in there because he's a lawyer. Yeah. In return for the CTA contract. And you have to clearly define that quid pro quo. Oh, no, this was a campaign contribution, not a yeah, bribe. Uh, yeah. Um, but, that, but he said that Dwyer rejected Torquato's offer. Well, then it's Torquato's turn on the stand, and he testified that Smith offered Dwyer a CTA contract. CTA was awarded the contract, and 
really early on yeah started like this the whole was... no bid thing was uh, i remember that being an issue too oh my gosh yeah but <laughs> but there were there were discrepancies and you know somebody brought it up to the proper authorities and then they took it to an accountant firm accounting firm and they com confirmed there's a lot of firms in here that the contract was overpriced and so that opened and well, that's not what opened the investigation. There was a former CTA employee who gave a sworn statement that Bud Dwyer was offered a 300,000 kickback towards his election campaign if he awarded CTA the $4.6 million contract in May of 1984. So that's when that's when that person gave. Right. Now we're getting into John Torquato. Oh yeah, John Torquato Jr. And that's an important distinction here. <laughs> so well. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, so the president of this the CTA was John Torquato Jr. Um, because I don't feel like saying that name. I'm just gonna call him JT Jr. <laughs> so well, okay. So John Torquato Sr. was allegedly a mafia leader here in Pennsylvania. So when he was a PennDOT official, people don't that don't understand what PennDOT is. That is the Pennsylvania Department of Transportation. We do not call it the DMV. Um, so when he was a PennDOT official, he was convicted of extorting kickbacks from highway equipment suppliers. For that, he served a year in federal prison and of course, you know, circle of events, Thornburg was the one that put JT Sr. in prison while he was the U.S. attorney. Mm -hmm. Go figure. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and in the, in the documentary, uh, when Dwyer was questioned by his own son about why he would even entertain a conversation with JT Jr., Bud said, and I quote, don't let the sins of the father cast down to the son. Oh, that's just because we know what happens. Yeah. Uh, this is like a really bad soap opera. It as really in like, is. As in like it ends really badly. Not. Yeah, it's, I, it, when we were talking before the show, you know, I, I mentioned that it, it's, this is one of those stories that if I was reading a novel that, you know, contained all of these facts, by this point, I probably would have thrown it across the room and gone on Goodreads to give it a scathing review. Yeah, because it sounds so unbelievable. And I'm it's not even so... mentioning everything that happened. Oh, gosh, it's so intricate. And given the circumstances, you would want all of this this information to be out there and, in in, you know, known. But, yeah, it's like... <laughs> It's it's like a, a a weird episode of Law and Order, you know. I, I expected <laughs> I expect so you to, to put to put put the doink doink on the front of this podcast because it, it's what it reminds me of. It's yeah. If it anyway, copyright. Um, I, I know, right? So, JT Junior. It's kind of my I want to say my favorite character because they're not these are real people. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> Um, he 
would do this thing, and this is what they mentioned in the documentary. He would do this thing when he would first meet somebody, and he'd shake their hand and offer them a bribe right there on the spot. And if that person didn't immediately turn turn him in, or threaten to, well, he would just accuse them of being a part of some kind of conspiracy and then hold that against them. <laughs> That's yeah. how. You, listen, now I know how to really get people. Thanks for that... the tip, JT. Uh, one of the one of the one of the players in this fun little well, it, it, I don't want to call it a conspiracy because like this is what happened. Yeah. So William Smith was uh, also a friend of Bud Dwyer. And JT Jr. kept pressuring him to offer Dwyer $300,000 towards his campaign. So allegedly, Smith had a meeting with Dwyer, and he said, My client, CTA, wants to offer you a $300,000 contribution if they get this contract. Uh, Offered it for the CTA contract, sorry. And then Dwyer, who was called as a defense for Smith, said that uh, he well he completely denied being offered anything from smith right (laughs) then it gets worse (laughs) smith failed a polygraph test which of course this was the time period when these were still i I don't think they're accepted in court anymore Mm -mm -mm. i have to look into that because i know like things like blood spatter evidence and stuff like that now gets thrown out because they're like that's a pseudoscience so anyway oh um, yeah yeah lie lie detector polygraphs yeah polygraphs are to the best of my knowledge, and I am not an expert on this, I am not an attorney, <laughs> but uh, from everything I've heard and read, they're, polygraphs they're are no longer accept- admissible as well, evidence. this is the 80s, so they yeah, yeah. probably, no, they were, they were. So um, he failed a polygraph and then confessed that he offered Dwyer the bribe and that Dwyer accepted. Uh, allegedly, it was $100,000 to Dwyer personally, $100,000 to his campaign committee and then a hundred thousand dollars to his party's state committee so that's a that was that was just the uh, summary of dwyer's trial now right i'm going to talk about jimmy the weasel because that's uh the nickname you're going you're going all in on this pennsylvania mafia thing listen (laughs) this took me three months to write okay and there's so much I'm leaving out. So we'd Jimmy, be here. We'd be here until Tuesday. I know I'm gonna have to edit a lot. So uh, Jimmy the Weasel. Um, his name was James West Thornburg as the governor. Got the Reagan administration to appoint his protege, Jim West, as acting U.S. attorney during Bud Dwyer's trial. And as we know. Thornburg already doesn't like Bud Dwyer. So, of course, the guy who used to work for him is going to be on Thornburg's side on this whole whole deal, right? Well, didn't, didn't Jim West say at one point that Dwyer, Bud Dwyer never took a bribe? Yes. He said, uh, that's uh, further down at the bottom, but essentially... Jim West stated that not a penny was paid to Bud Dwyer and he charged him and convicted him entirely on intent, even though no money changed hands. Right. Right, right. Now there were supposed to be other people on this indictment 
Um, and I'll, I'll, there's so much information. I'll just, I'll go through it real quick. So there's, there's too many um, titles in this whole thing. And I need to know how our government is structured better for this. So there was, well, it's, it's, it, it's a spider web. It's a spider web. It's like that, that common meme that I forget what show it's from, where there's the guy in front of the cork board with all the string. Yes. That's from and it's he's manically. Is it? Okay. Yeah, he's trying Which, to figure out. It's, it's, a good, yeah, it's great. That's ironic, isn't it? But yeah, it's it, it, the way this goes back and forth, like JT Jr. being such an idiot that he keeps records of everyone he he's kept trying to Digital records. Who, who keeps digital records of who they're going well, to bribe? Okay, it, I do. It was, 19, it was 1980 uh, cough, cough. And, you know, <laughs> at, at that point... Nobody, nobody had any concept of clearing your cache and making sure you use incognito mode on your browser. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> so I, that people that can't inspect it, yeah. your history, you know. But still, you know, what kind of a doofus? Anyway, <laughs> they didn't know yet. Spray painted on the side of your barn. You know, I'm bribing everyone. Here's the people on my list. Yeah, we haven't even gotten to right. him being drunk yet. Uh, I skipped over it. That's why. We'll get back to that. So I, I just feel like I'm saying a lot of the same titles because uh, this one is U.S. Attorney General Edwin Meese III. Oh, yeah, Ed Meese, right. Yeah, Ed Meese. Uh, he personally Not to be confused called... with Pennsylvania Attorney General Zimmerman. No, and then <laughs> acting U.S. Attorney west you see what i mean there's yeah. too many too many <laughs> so he um meese personally called west on behalf of other allies that were caught in the same scandal um and after he met with west the state senator john shoemaker was removed from the original indictment who else uh -huh. And then, yeah, remember, remember what we said earlier about Pennsylvania politics being a pretty brutal slugfest. Yeah, well, and then the majority leader of the state House of Representatives, James Mandarino, was also allegedly involved, but that was according to West. And of course, <laughs> he's, and that person who was allegedly involved was on the opposite uh, political party, so it hmm, seems very convenient. Yeah. And then the Justice Department review was also uh, a cover-up, apparently. If Dwyer had appealed, the irregularities uh, in that Justice Department review alone, he would have won the appeal because there were so many inconsistencies and irregularities. Right. So the, the original three names on the CTA in indictment were Dwyer, um, Robert Asher, who was the state committee, one of the state committee chairmen, and Shoemaker, who I mentioned earlier, Senator Shoemaker. Right. Now, it should also be noted that Senator Shoemaker sponsored the legislation that allowed CTA to be contracted. Right. The Dauphin County Committee co-chairman promised Shoemaker half of the, um, the legal fees if he helped CTA get the contract. So yeah, Smith did testify that Shoemaker and Attorney General Zimmerman had been offered money in return for their help awarding CTA with the state contract. Uh, and then 
Very conveniently, Smith dropped those allegations. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Dwyer even went as far as asking um, Senator Arlen Specter for help. And he tried to contact, I think there was something that I read that he tried to contact uh, Ronald Reagan for help. Yes, for he did. He, he, yeah, he asked for a pardon and, and uh, Arlen Specter said, don't, that, that's not going to happen. <laughs> no, because we're all in each other's pants. I mean, pockets. Um, so yeah, there was yeah. there was that fun bit um, that I skipped over where JT Jr. got drunk and started going on about how he had Bud Dwyer in his pockets, and then <laughs> yeah, that statement got his place raided by the F yep. um, by the FBI, and then which is yeah, where they found the computer files that had all of his which had stuff. all three of those names: the Attorney General yeah. Zimmerman, Senator Shoemaker, and Bud Dwyer. Yeah, that's where that all yep. falls in. That's where I meant mm -hmm. to put that. I think yeah. I mean, it, there's a it, it in in some taken in in some Dwyer, as you said in the out at, at the the outset, Dwyer was uh, a good guy. Politics is all about quid pro quo. I think they've gotten a lot better at it since <laughs> uh, Bud Dwyer. But the the point is that he he if he wasn't a he was a good man. He tried to do the right thing. He kept up his appearances. And he just made some really high-profile enemies, right. and either, he either didn't have the the will, or the he he didn't either either refused to play that kind of game, or he didn't know how. I like to think he 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 refused to play this game yeah. where you know hey you just you take this hit. And we'll do this, you know, you, we'll scratch your back in this way if you scratch ours in that way. And he just said, no. Yeah, he's and, like, I'm not playing this game. Right. And, uh, and, I, I, because, and I think the fact of what he did to end it speaks to that. Well, yeah, and that, that's what um, I'm about to get. I'll, I'll wrap this up and then I'll get to that part. Oh, um, sorry. Sorry. No, that's okay. You're just skipping ahead. <laughs> so... I don't even know where you're going, so. Oh, this is the part that I didn't send to you. I just added it an hour before you. Ah, okay. So Dwyer's lawyer uh, asked West if the charges could be dropped if Dwyer resigned from office. So West gave a counter offer, which was, how about he pleads guilty to one charge of bribe receiving, and he'll get five years in, prisons, in, in prison if he resigns and cooperates with the investigation. Well, Bud Dwyer wasn't going to take that. So he said no, and then went to trial. Well, here's where it gets real sticky. Uh, and the, they had the trial in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. That's nowhere near, obviously it's nowhere near um, Harrisburg where he was working. And it's also not anywhere near the, like where he lived and his, where he previously represented as you know, uh, the district, something, representative. So it's on the other side of the state. They chose, uh, West chose Williamsport, right? Now, I believe even today, Williamsport uh, is like one of the most uneducated portions of Pennsylvania. So a lot of the words that I've used in this podcast to talk about what happened there's a, a, a good percentage of people up there that wouldn't 
understand that. And so it wasn't really truly a jury of his peers. Right. Like statistically speaking. Right. So he was found guilty on all 11 counts and he faced a sentence of up to 55 years uh, imprisonment and a $300,000 fine. Obviously he, he was still saying that he was innocent. So that's, and as I mentioned earlier, if he had resigned, he would have lost every financial asset that he had built to support his family and his death benefits. Now his widow was able to collect full survivor benefits. And that was almost $1.3 million, which is at that at that time was the largest death benefit payment ever made by the state pretty much the conclusion that people came to um, especially from like just watching the documentary and reading the book is the reason he took his own life was so that he could you know save his family from the financial ruin that this entire judicial process put him in oh yeah because yeah. it was so expensive and the fees were monumental yeah and had he been sentenced um they by state law they would not be allowed to pay that and so so he'd be in jail and then his family would be stuck in whatever situation they would be in you know right so that's ultimately because everybody in the documentary said like we didn't even see this coming we had no idea like he seemed a little off but they thought you know obviously he's going to be sentenced to prison you're going to be a little off. Yeah. No. And at no point had anybody, especially because who would expect at a, a televised public conference, because um, even someone, in, someone had said, uh, I think it was his sister to his wife said, like, you need to keep an eye on him, you know? Yeah. Make sure he's going to be okay. Well, you don't expect this to happen yeah. in a crowd of people on television. No, so, no, you don't. So cl- clearly keeping an eye on him didn't didn't make a difference. You know, he was determined to uh, not only save his family, but make a statement about how corrupt our judicial system was and our politics were. And still and I think, really I, are. I think this, that one of the saddest things is how, how that message was lost. Yes, because the only thing that... when I... When I found this story, first of all, I didn't even know it happened, and I live here. Like, right? It's been buried, and then when I when I found it, I was like, "Ugh, what kind of corrupt a hole would make such a stand?" And then, of course, I read about it, and I was like, "Oh no, I had the wrong assumption here." Yeah. It's because of the corruption that this happened. So. Yeah, I mean, it, you, uh, uh, somebody like Bud Dwyer like I was saying earlier, who's that experienced in the game, the Harrisburg game. Imagine the extremis that he must have been, he must have considered himself to be in, well, and was in, according to all the evidence you've brought to bear, that for him, this was the only option. Yeah, he didn't see any other way What a terrifying notion. Yeah. That the only way his wife and family was going to survive is if he took this if he took this step yeah and in a, in a way it in a way it's kind of it's kind of uh, a, i'm not I, one hesitates to say a good thing 
that he did the, that he did what he chose to do in the way he did it because he could have just walked out on Front Street, yeah. sat in a park bench. Yeah. But no, he. Wanted, but he, That was his way. Of making he made a, statement. a public statement. He made a public statement. My my only real this is why this one took me three months to research and I still didn't include everything I wanted to include. But uh, I I ultimately just wanted to get the real Bud Dwyer story. This is this is why why people do things the way they do. This, and this is not the first time I have heard a story about somebody who died by suicide because they believed that that was the best option to save their family. Like as yeah. far as like finances go, because they're like, oh, well, if I die, then my family gets all this money and they'll be better off. Yeah. That's, that's not, that's not how it is because even in the documentary, his kids said, no, we'd rather have him. Yeah. There before the grace of God, right? Yeah, pretty much. So yeah, that's, um, that's the majority of the story of Bud Dwyer. I mean, there's so much more. Um, there's, a like I said, there's a documentary. Uh, oh, you can you can dive so deeply on this topic on the yeah. internet, as I did over the <laughs> course did. of the past couple. I mean, I didn't spend three months on it. No. <laughs> but there... That's the story of Bud Dwyer. In in brief and in summary, but yeah. <laughs> as, as short as I could make it. Uh, and I just hope I did justice to the story because I did work really hard on it. On that note, How? <laughs> class dismissed. I thank the good Lord for giving me 47 years of exciting challenges, stimulating experiences, many happy occasions, and most of all, the finest wife and children any man could ever desire. Now my life has changed for no apparent reason. People who call in light are exasperated and feel helpless. They know I'm innocent and want to help. But in this nation, the world's greatest democracy, there is nothing they can do to prevent me from being punished for a crime they know I did not commit. Some who have called have said I am a modern-day Job. Judge Muir is also noted for his medieval sentences. I face a maximum sentence of 55 years in prison on a $300,000 fine for being innocent. Judge Muir has already told the press that he, quote, felt invigorated when we were found guilty, and he plans to imprison me as a deterrent to other public officials. But it wouldn't be a deterrent because every public official who knows me knows that I am innocent. It wouldn't be a legitimate punishment because I've done nothing wrong. Since I'm a victim of political persecution, my prison would simply be an American gulag. I ask those that believe in me to continue to extend friendship and prayer to my family, to work untiringly for the creation of a true justice system here in the United States, and to press on with the efforts to vindicate me so that my family and their future families are not tainted by this injustice that has been perpetrated on me. We were confident that right and truth would prevail, and I would be acquitted, and we would devote the rest of our lives working to create a justice system here in the United States. The guilty verdict has strengthened that resolve. But as we've discussed our plans to expose the worth of our legal system, people have said, why bother? No one cares. You'll look foolish. 60 Minutes, 2020, the American Civil Liberties Union, Jack Anderson, and others have been publicizing cases like yours for years, and it doesn't bother anyone. At this point in time, 